Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, how much sleep did you get last night? Seven and a half hours. That's pretty good. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I mean, eight is the, that's the the ballpark. That's clean living right there at eight, right? That's what I aspire to. Yeah. But I need that. What about you? Um, let's see. 12, 1, 2, 3, 4. I tend to get around, like, generally at my ideal is like get seven. But I feel much better when I get eight. Well, and that makes a huge difference, yeah. right? Sometimes I get six. It, uh, in the past, I found that, like, I can sort of, I can pull, like, one, like, one night a week. I can stay up a little late. But then I need to make it up. Like, I don't know. Used to, it's, it was different. Just yeah. different when you're younger. But, uh, well, yeah. 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 But uh, but these days, yeah, I, I find myself getting seven, but eight would be gravy. Well, okay, so there's this idea out there that eight hours is the ideal, or actually between six and eight hours. Sort of depends. Okay. Everybody is wired a little bit differently, and uh, certainly melatonin levels are different uh, depending on... Depends how much sleeping you're getting yeah. done on the train later on in the day or, or under your desk in a secret compartment that you've built. That yeah. nobody can see that yeah. looks like a cubicle, but it's not. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, there's this idea that, um, that there's our, these are standards. Uh, they even call the, this sleep hygiene these days. But there's a really fascinating New York Times article. Um, actually, it's New York Times Magazine. It's called The Sleep Industrial Complex. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in a second. But the I, Sleep Industrial Complex. The huh. Sleep Industrial Complex. About this idea of sleep as, as being this, you know, God-given, like, right of eight hours. And this is the normalcy and this is sleep hygiene. And we should all uh, order these $2,000 beds so that we can sleep better. Because we spend half our life sleeping. Yeah, that's the So on self, and so yeah. forth, right? Half your life there. Uh, but before we go into that, I wanted to mention that we are, of course, talking about sleep, um, this idea about whether or not in the future, in the near future, we will need as much of it and the reasons why. But before we go into the reasons why we may or may not need sleep, let's talk about ye old days. Ye olden days of sleep. Well, sleep was invented. In, well, no, it wasn't invented. We, we've always we've always slept. So right. I mean, that's the thing. When when you when you first brought this up, like what was what did sleep used to be like? My thought was, well, it was probably like it was now. You got tired in the evenings, <laughs> maybe a little earlier, uh, especially especially in say if you're you have like a an agrarian kind of uh, uh, environment going on. There's only so much you can do at night. You need to yeah. get up early. So. When it's too dark to work, you go to sleep. Or in, like, say, medieval city settings where you would have certain, like, curfews in place, mm-hmm. you're not even, you know, you can only live it up so much at night, so you might as well go to bed, right? Well, you don't have electricity, yeah. right? So, yeah, there's not a ton to do. Um, Video games were primitive. Uh, <laughs> there's just stick and dirt, yeah. and then your candle would run out anyway, yeah. so. Eventually, you're, you're tired of fighting the lice, and you just go to sleep. And, well, you, and you could get eight hours, I would guess, right? Well, what they were saying, though, is that, um, you know, d- depending on the time of the year, you could have 10 hours of sunlight and 14 hours of darkness. And um, in, in this article that I talked about, uh, the, or I just talked about, the sleep industrial complex, 
Roger Eckrich, a professor of history at Virginia Tech, says that for many centuries, and perhaps back to Homer, Western society slept in two shifts because there was so much darkness, right? They had 14 hours and you didn't have electricity. And he says that people went to sleep, got up in the middle of the night for an hour or so, and then went to sleep again. Thus, night, and I'm quoting here, divided into a first sleep and a second sleep. Hmm. Um, and this is where you, they have this intermission. And he says that there was an extraordinary level of activity during this intermission period. Really? So yeah. it's not just like, oh, I, I woke up, I stumbled into the bathroom. Or I stumbled into the kitchen and ate a chicken wing, and then I went to sleep. No, no. It's like you're getting up, you're hitting the town for a couple of hours. Yeah, yeah. He says huh. that people would get up and they'd tend to their animals, or they would do housekeeping. Okay. Well, or, or they'd have sex. Yeah. Or well. they'd just lay in bed thinking. Um, <laughs> smoking a pipe, he says. All valid options. Yeah. Gossiping with bedfellows, because remember, this is back in the day, like, well, you might be sleeping in a bed with six other yeah. people, and with six siblings. And he did not necessarily that, that far away in some societies. Uh, right. Like uh, when I read... Um, Black Robe, which I'm sure I've mentioned here before, the, uh, the awesome novel uh, that had to do with uh, Native American uh, populations uh, in the U.S., uh, particularly Huron people, and then also Jesuits. But but there were a lot of descriptions of the of the, the group sleeping environments yeah. um, among the the Huron, and, uh, and 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 certainly, yeah, it's like it's a communal experience. And if people were waking up, you're liable to chat a little, or well, do it, or smoke, do know? it or smoke, or if you're Benjamin Franklin, you would take a cold air bath. Which means what that, is that he would read <laughs> naked in a chair and he'd call it his cold air bath, oh, I bet like he, in the I middle bet of the night. Would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can kind of see that really well, right? Like for some reason, that's that's something that's easy to imagine. I, I always imagine him now uh, as the version that we saw in the John Adams HBO yes. miniseries, mm-hmm. uh, played by that great actor whose name eludes me at the moment. Uh, yeah, that guy. Ah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, it's a, they they kind of they play up his uh, his bodiness a little, not to like comic degrees, but to but to a, what feels like a, a more realistic degree. So I can imagine that Ben Franklin enjoying his cool air bath uh, during his. That's exactly what I, I thought of a corpulent Ben Franklin. I yeah. have to say. Um, so anyway, the the idea here is that um, sleep has not always been an unbroken block of six to eight hours, and that people have always sort of done different things with it. In fact, uh, there's no conclusive evidence, but it's thought that Leonardo da Vinci practiced something called polyphasic sleep, uh, and that's taking twenty to thirty minute naps every couple of hours throughout the day and, and the night, which you can actually see the advantages to that. Right, I mean, because well, you kind of get refreshed at, at intervals. Well, I mean, if you like, I've never tried it, but certainly, if I were to look at my own schedule, I would say, yeah, when I wake up, those first six hours are uh, are optimal for me. That's when I'm going to get my best writing done. That's when, if I'm podcasting, that's when I need to podcast in mm-hmm. the AM, not in the PM. And then by the afternoon, I'm having increasing uh, difficulty stringing words together or remembering where I kept things. So it would it would seem logical that if I just increase my waking periods, I would increase my optimal thinking periods as well. If you had a balance of the two, sure. Yeah. Uh, Well, it turns out, uh, according to Eckrich, that slip disorders could be, especially the ones in which you wake up in the middle of the night and you have a hard time getting back to sleep, um, that this may actually not necessarily be a sign of not being able to fall asleep again, but could be rooted in the more traditional pattern that we just spoke of, in which there are 10 hours of daylight and 14 hours of darkness, and people had those intermissions. Hmm. Now, I believe there was a Seinfeld episode where Kramer was going after the Leonardo da Vinci model, and it ended up not working for him. 
Not to say that that is a clinical uh, trial of, uh, of of said sleep pattern, but uh, right. but uh, a number of viewers probably made that connection. Oh, and by the way, Tom Wilkinson is the actor. Uh, okay, okay, great actor. Well, in uh, Ayurvedic medicine too, there there's different um, doshas they call them that rule different parts of the day. So mm-hmm. there's this idea that certain doshas you would fall asleep easily and then you would wake up. And that there are some people who actually follow this. So these are like four-hour blocks of time. So if this certain dosha, which was uh, more amenable to sleep, were to occur during the day, then you would sleep during that time period. So there are all there are many different ideas of sleep and how to accomplish it. Yeah, I mean, certainly, just in anyone's friend group, you can probably think of various people who are, you know, night work. Like my sister, for instance, uh, she does uh, uh, she bakes beads for jewelry uh, and. Uh, she does that like exclusively in the wee hours of the morning and then sleeps late in, in, uh, in, in the wee hours. She stays up at night and works on it and then sleeps rather late. Whereas I'm just the opposite. If I'm going to do something creative um, or, or or that involves thought, it's going to have to happen in the a.m. So, And, and you, you see people with drastic differences in that. I can't think of anyone. I've never met anyone who's like, yeah, middle of the day. Right at noon. <laughs> yeah. Right after I eat a sandwich about three yeah. o'clock, that's when I'm that's really my time. productive. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Let's talk about why we need sleep. We've talked about this a little bit before in previous podcasts, but let's just sort of have a refresher that newborns sleep up to 20 hours a day. Um, and of course they need that because they're uh, secreting growth hormones and all sorts of crazy things that are going on to help them grow. Um, and then us adults log between six to eight hours of sleep and it is essential to mammals. Yeah, sleep, just a, just a few bullet points here. Sleep gives the body a chance to repair muscles and other tissues to replace aging or dead cells. So it's the it's maintenance time in the old body. Sleep gives the brain a chance to organize and arch- archive memories. Dreams are thought by some to be part of this process. We've discussed that before. Mm-hmm. The idea of the of dream, that our dream cycle is a, is a problem-solving um, space that ha- happens at a, at a subconscious level. Sleep lowers our energy consumption, so we need three meals a day rather than four or five. And uh, since we don't do anything you know, in the dark anyway, we might as well turn off and save energy. That's, of course, going rolling back on older models mm-hmm. of we're, we're not nocturnal creatures. We can't see anything, so we might as well shut down. Also, um, as... Um, <laughs> As as the, the Wiggum child points out in The Simpsons, sleep is where you're a Viking. So there's that. That's well. that's yeah. right. Sleep for chance to dream. Um, so yeah, a lot of it points back to the fact that we have this three pound uh, little you know operating system that does take a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And as you say, uh, if we can turn off, then we can conserve that, and we don't have to keep feeding that. So what happens when we we can't go to sleep? Right. That's 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 always been the problem because you can force yourself to stay up, be it out of sheer terror. Out of, by the use of uh, natural or illicit uh, substances, mm-hmm. uh, or just a uh, sheer, you know, intensity of, of thought, you you may be able to keep yourself to some degree awake, and not also uh, various uh, medical conditions. Of course, will do this as well. Right. Um, but um, you miss one night of sleep; it's not going to kill you. Uh, you're generally going to be irritable the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may slow you down. You'll become tired easily. Um, or it's also possible that you'll be totally wired because of adrenaline. Um, if you're still just you know, pumping through it, say you're running for your life from uh, you know, monsters all night and then into the next day. Right. Um, all right, if you miss two nights of sleep, though, then it starts really catching up, catching up with you. Concentration becomes difficult. Attention span falls. Um, mistakes increase, like 
silly mistakes, even things that you do every day. You, you know, try to unload the dishwasher, you're going to break glasses left and right, that kind of thing. After three days, though, that's when you start to hallucinate, um, and clear thinking becomes impossible. Um, and uh, with you know, you may start seeing spiders in the corners that aren't there. You know, I um, actually have experienced that before yeah. when my daughter is a newborn. And uh, being up in the middle of the night with her so much. And at some point, I remember hallucinating that the the room was getting really tiny mm-hmm. and really big. And that's when I was like, oh, okay, this is, you know, these are the effects of not being able to sleep. And it is not, I mean, this is one of those things that, that a large percentage of Americans um, and, and the rest of the world, too, really uh, actually happened to them as well. I mean, 70% of Americans get less than the generally recommended eight hours of sleep per night, and yeah. then they suffer some type of sleep deprivation symptom. Well, what's a, worth pointing out about the three days plus thing, um, you were hallucinating a little bit, but you were still grounded in reality. You were like... I knew something was yeah, up. Yeah, you were like, yeah. the room's not really moving. Or you might realize there aren't really ghost spiders crawling in the corners of my vision, but uh, it can reach the point where you actually lose grasp of reality. Um and we've we've had, we've conducted experiments where rats forced to stay awake mm-hmm. continuously uh, eventually die. Yeah, they can live up sleep. to three years, but you're right. If you were to take two or three weeks and uh, continuously deprive them of sleep, they would die. Yeah. So we know obviously that this is something that we cannot go without, or can we? That's the thing, because inevitably, I mean, we we've all had that point. Be it you know, especially if you if you've been in a college scenario or you found yourself like dealing with a newborn or any kind of stressful, time-consuming portion of your life, you'll, or or maybe you just, there's a video game you want to play and you never have time for it, or a hobby you want to pursue, or that book you want to write and you find yourself sleepy and out of out of energy when you could work on it. You, you may think to yourself, man, if I, if I could just get rid of this sleep thing, then that would totally open up my day. I, I'd have half my life back, and I could use that to go after these various uh, endeavors. Or... Uh, certainly, in, a, in military and, uh, scenarios, we've had situations where, all right, we need to, to win this thing. We need these pilots to come in, fold the planes, and then go out again. Mm-hmm. But we need them to be able to fly the plane. We need them to have uh, to, to have that alertness and, uh, and and ability that is there when they first wake up in the morning. How can we sustain that? Yeah, let's talk more about the history of soldiers and stimulants because that is a great example. You have people who are in high-stakes situations. They're in different time zones most of the time. Um, they're in a different climate. They're under extreme stress, and sleep is a fleeting thing, right? right. There are times that you want to turn it on, and there are times that you want to turn it off. Um, and this I thought was really interesting. The number currently of Ritalin and Adderall prescriptions written for active-duty service members increased by nearly 1,000%. In five years, so that's from thirty-two. Um, that so it decreased or it has increased from three thousand to thirty-two thousand. And Tricare Management Activity, which is an arm of the Department of Defense, says that this is because there have been increased diagnoses of ADHD. Uh, but then we know that the military has had a long history of using stimulants to help keep troops alert and awake. And certainly, I mean, you're dealing with military environments, uh, you know, combat environments. It's it's ultimately a matter of life and death. So, mm-hmm. it's it's hard it's hard to argue against the use of those those substances uh, in, in these circumstances. Um, I mean, if, if you're looking at this this individual is this individual is going out back in, into combat, he's going back out into a situation where he or she may be shot at or shot down, uh, etc. Then 
then how do you make the argument against giving them that chemical edge or giving them the chemical edge to actually sleep and rest when they return with all of these thoughts still ringing in their head and all these fears and, and apprehensions? Um, I wanted to point out, too, that uh, during the Vietnam War, that U.S. Trips, troops were given amphetamines, and amphetamines work throughout the brain to boost levels um, of a range of neurotransmitters, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's pretty much speed, right? Right. Um, which would keep you very active and alert. And Nazis also gave it to their troops in the form of uh, something called Pervitin. Okay, the German infantry, yeah. Yeah, and um, Provigil and Modafinil are centrist nervous system stimulants, and those have been used by military pilots and special forces during missions. Um, the problem, of course, with all of this are the side effects. Right. Uh, Provigil has side effects that include nervousness, insomnia, excitation, irritability, tremors, dizziness, and headaches. Uh, so it's not the the perfect drug here, and certainly it is a solution to some of the problems that exist in this environment, but, eh, well, you know, at what cost? Yeah, I mean, because certainly I think uh, pilots, that's a great example of this, because it's, especially if you're dealing with flying a long, very long distance on a combat mission or, or what have you, you want them to have optimal performance for the entire time. But even with these, these chemicals, you it's going to get increasingly shaky the, the more you push it out. It's like holding a, a hold in yoga. That's how far removed I am from combat scenarios, I guess. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's like the longer you hold it, the shakier right. it's going to get right. uh, to the point where no amount of, uh, of chemical um, aid is going to help you, or so we thought. Right. And we won't go into some of the instances, but there, there have been some, um, some of the use of Provigal and Modafinil in which the uh, – some unfortunate incidences have happened, and people have wondered whether or not it's the side effects from the drug that that were, um, you know, causing people to not think clearly or, or having impaired thinking. So uh, let's talk about in 2007, uh, DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, which comes up with some really cool things. Um, yeah, everything from uh, from from driverless cars to well, I mean, it really runs the gamut. Yeah, uh, they, uh, in conjunction with um, with Department of Defense and Jerome Siegel, a professor of psychiatry at UCLA, came up with a nasal spray uh, that would help create a sense of wakefulness and alertness without many side effects. Which is this is a huge breakthrough. Yeah, I mean it, the the idea is is pretty great. I mean they refer to it as a sleep replacement drug. Which just sounds crazy. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, a, do I, sleep replacement. I mean, it, it tends to go against everything that we've we've discussed so far. The idea that, that sleep is inevitable, sleep is mandatory, but if you could re- actually replace it with a drug, then what couldn't we do in the space of twenty four hours or forty eight hours or even longer? All right, so check this out. There was a study of monkeys who were deprived of sleep for thirty to thirty six hours. And I wonder how they did that, by the way, too. Like, did they just play loud music or, like, you know, uh, they gave them, make them do puzzles? They gave them the first five seasons of Breaking Bad. Ah, uh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Well, that'll do it right there. Um, and then those monkeys were given either Orexin A or a saline placebo before taking standard cognitive tests. And what they found is that the monkeys who were given Orexin A in a nasal spray scored about the same as alert monkeys on cognitive tests, uh, while the, the saline control group was severely impaired. And so this is a study that was published uh, in the 
December 26, 2007 edition of the Journal of Neuroscience, it was found that Orexin A not only restored their cognitive abilities, but it made, the, and this is huge, it made their brains look awake and PET scans as well. So there's evidence that it's not just that there's a certain level of alertness, but that they could have been firing on all cylinders. All right. Well, let's let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll keep rolling. We will stay alert, stay awake, and keep talking about uh, the death of sleep here, possibly. All right, we're back. And we are talking about Orexin A, this uh, promising sleep replacement drug candidate, which uh, do, do not go to your, your pharmacy. Do not go to your doctor mm-hmm. and ask for Orexin A. Because Don't buy it online. And do not either. buy it online. I'm yeah. sure something is available that is calling itself Orexin A. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also called hypocretin. It's a neuropeptide hormone, and it's produced in the hypothalamus. And it's what allows us to remain awake for a continuous chunk of time because our body basically releases Orexin A throughout the day. Mm-hmm. So this is the interesting part is that... Um, the reason that Orexin A was discovered uh, to help manipulate these different sleep states and wakeful states is because they noticed, uh, researchers noticed that people who have narcolepsy have trouble falling asleep. Uh, and the reason they are having trouble falling asleep is because they lack Orexin A, this, hmm. this wakefulness hormone. So Orexin A is the finger of the brain poking you and keeping you awake. Uh, during that, that meeting or that church sermon. And uh, and people with narcolepsy don't have that finger to poke them in the shoulder. And it's interesting because previously uh, researchers were trying to treat sleep disorders by really inducing sleep at the right time rather than tinkering with wakefulness. Right. So it's sort of they took the opposite tact here. Instead of like, we're going to knock you out at 10.30 p.m., Let's actually look at, at, at what's going on in the brain. Yeah, yeah. So if so, the the uh, idea here is that if the deficit of orexin A makes people sleepy, adding it back into the brain would reduce its effects. So that's mm-hmm. where you see something like the nasal spray becoming really effective because you're getting a shot of this orexin A. You are vanquishing the sleepies um, with wakefulness. And so uh, it becomes a really effective drug for narcoleptics as well, right, because Mm -hmm. it's inducing wakefulness. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, you have something called sorovexant. And this is a drug from Merck, and it's still in trials. But what it's trying to do is block the receptors for orexin. So now they're saying, okay, well, let's not let orexin attach to the receptors so that we can induce the sleepiness. Um, and you're essentially taking out the wakeful component. Okay. Yeah. Um, and this is the, the huge thing about it is it doesn't appear to have the hangover side effects that some sleep aid medications are reported to have. But it's still in trials, and um, there's the idea that more research needs to, to go on, obviously, to make sure that the drug wouldn't inadvertently cause sleep state disassociations for your body later on. The idea being here that you're you're taking... One pill to wake you up, one pill to put you down, and eventually everything's going to be out of whack. Yeah, that your body is like, okay, well, now that I have been manipulated with, with my receptors have been blocked here on a Rex and A, and sleepiness is, is, has been induced later on in the day, is my body going to try to make up for it? Is mm-hmm. there a possibility? So far, with the drug trials, that doesn't seem to be the case, but you still would want to know what the long-term effects would be for both the Suvorexant which would help you sleep, and for the nasal spray. 
um, which would inhibit sleep and create wakefulness? You know, that's the question that it comes down to. Um, how will this be used for the general public? The nasal spray, um, you know, will gamers just be you yeah. know, sniffing it uh, for, students for, use for 24 it? hours yeah. a day? Right. Will partiers? Real? I mean, because the, the people are, people were partying all night anyway. But and if this improves one's uh, optimal partying ability, then uh, then yeah, it becomes you can see that becoming a hot thing. And but then, I mean, it sounds like sniffable Red Bull to me. Yeah. And to say nothing about the p- potential complications of combining this with any other um, a number of uh, stimulants or, or or other medications, so so yeah, the jury's definitely out. But it what, is what we'll do with it, and then what the various complications could be. It's a fascinating question, though, about whether or not you could restore your cognitive functions to a to the wakeful state that you naturally would have, and mm-hmm. be able to avoid sleep. I mean, you're not going to get the cell. Uh, rejuvenation that you would in a deep sleep. Yeah. Uh, also, I mean, you need your muscle re- repair to take yeah. place, aging dead ce- cells to be tended to. So, yeah, it seems like, all, I mean, all that is going to catch up with you. So you wouldn't be able to use this to stay awake indefinitely or not without severe consequences. But, again, I, I find it fascinating from the perspective of being able to manipulate our, our wakeful states and our, yeah. our sleep states. And, you know, is there going to be a, a drug that is the on the other end of the spectrum that makes you go to sleep so that you can manipulate, uh, the, you know, your sleep activities and your wakeful uh, activities whenever you want? Yeah, I mean, I wonder if it could reach the point where, like, I've also, I also remember, in addition to having thoughts of, oh, what if I didn't have to sleep? Wouldn't life be easier? You wouldn't have to buy a bed, you know, do this, that, and the other. But I've also had those times where I thought, wouldn't it be nice if I could just stockpile some sleep, stay up for a certain period of time, or I could stay up for four days and just sleep the weekend away? And to a certain extent, that's how it works in, in terms of having to pay back what you take away from your sleep cycle. But if you could actually do this at a chemical level with the, at a, and, you know, and at a, a hormone level with these uh, substances, then perhaps we would reach the point where someone is taking a Rexina to stay awake for, say, four days mm-hmm. uh, of work during the week and then uh, counter countering that with uh, with other medications to sleep it out for the weekend. Or if you're just uh, having a commute and you artificially uh, make yourself fall into a sleep pattern. So if you're like commuting on MARTA, for instance, on the train system, and you can catch, you know, 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, you can. And then if, if you, you don't have yeah. any cash on you when you wake up. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Um, something to sleep on. Something to sleep on or not sleep on, uh, as it may work out. Um it, it reminded me, and of course, we got this title from uh, from Macbeth. Uh, there's a there's a great part in Macbeth where Macbeth says, uh, "Methought I heard a voice cry, sleep no more.' Macbeth does murder sleep, the innocent sleep, sleep that knits up the raveled sleeve of care, the death of each day's life, sore labor's bath, balm of hurts minds, great nature's second course, chef nourisher in life's feast." And Lady Macbeth says, "What do you mean?" And Macbeth says, "Still it cried, sleep no more, to all the house." Glamis hath murdered sleep, and therefore Cotter shall sleep no more. Macbeth shall sleep no more. So, of course, Macbeth is rather stressed out during most of this play. Yeah, yeah. And that's what's uh, what's keeping him awake, uh, all these worries about what he's done and what he's going to have to do and uh, and, and what the, the toll is going to be at the end. But, uh, but yeah, the, the idea that Macbeth, uh, I, I, you know, as, as usual, Shakespeare 
manages to word it best, but it's talking about sleep as this the sleep that knits up the raveled sleeve of care. I really like that. So what happens when we when we banish it, when we murder sleep? When we stay unraveled. Yeah. So I am sure you guys and gals have some, some sleep-related tidbits to share with us about uh, either about legitimate um, problems you've had with, uh, with sleep or times when you've really pushed yourself to stay awake for an extended period of time and or, or been pushed to stay awake for an extended period of time. Uh, what was that like? Uh, what, were the, what strengths did you find yourself uh, flowing with? What, uh, what uh, negative impacts did it have on your wakeful state? Uh, we'd love to hear about all of that. And certainly, what are your thoughts about the potential of being able to take a sleep replacement truck? How do you think that would change your life? How do you think it would change culture as, as we know it? Would it? I don't know. Would you banish sleep to get half your life back, or do you feel like you'd be losing the best half of your, of your life? Because let's face it, sleep is awesome. And would you take air baths? Yes. A lot. Do you take uh, nude air baths uh, in, the, in the night? Let us know about that as well. Uh, well. Let's call over the robot real quick and just do one quick listener mail. All right, here's one from Don. Don writes and says, Hello, Robert and Julie. Thank you for taking on breastfeeding as a scientific topic. I would imagine that this topic will generate lots of mail for you on both sides of the issue. It's amazing uh, to me how something so natural and so logical, frankly, is rebuked by so many. Just yesterday, I was excited to see that a shopping mall had designated nursing rooms, even uh, if, if the sign for the room featured an illustration of a baby bottle half full of milk. I was amazed to learn that some men are able to breastfeed. Imagine if this were the norm. I would be interested to see this develop, especially since men strut around shirtless in public so shamelessly. And this is something that <laughs> yeah, when I was talking to my wife about about uh, about some of this, and she was like, "Yeah, it's like you'll you know, the woman takes her has her top off, and it's you know it's a scandal." But you'll see the most grotesque men walking around with their shirts off, and it's no big deal. Yeah, it does kind of boggle the mind. <laughs> And then Don continues, on the topic of performance art, which is another episode we did, I wanted to draw your attention to a performance artist named Chris Burden, if you haven't already heard of him. I saw one of his installations in college. Apparently, he crucified himself to the hood of a Volkswagen Beetle, had someone shoot him in the arm, and also had a piece where he stood backstage and attempted to breathe water for 45 minutes. Interesting stuff. Keep up the great work, Don. We'll have to check that out. Yeah, I've heard of the... um, the Volkswagen Beetle thing rings a bell, but I, I know I've seen some stuff about the uh, the shooting as art. Yeah. You know. Chris Burden? Yeah, Chris yeah. Burden. All right. Well, um, yeah, so let us know your thoughts on sleep replacement drugs, on breastfeeding in public, which, by the way, we have received a lot of comments from that. We have, And yeah. I have to say that all of them have been really positive. I mean, nobody's... Very insightful very as well. Very insightful, yeah. Uh, and if you have any thoughts, um, obviously, about performance art... Let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Tumblr, where we are stuff to blow your mind on both of those. And on Twitter, we are we are blow the mind. And you can always drop us a line at blowthemind at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 